Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Greg and I worked together during the 2002-2003 winter season in Paradise Island, where this dum-dum gave me the nickname The American Dream. I wasn't really sure why, but we'll talk about that and more. My first season was in Club Med Sandpiper in February of 2001 as a golf geo. Before Club Med, I played golf at a Division II university called Mercyhurst in Erie, Pennsylvania, and I went to the Golf Academy of America in Orlando, Florida. My name is Corey, and this is my first season. American Dream, how are you, sir? What's up? Or should I call you Logan Weapon X? (laughs) Jane Silent Bob, nice. (laughs) Only you and I would get that reference, right? (laughs) How you doing? I'm doing pretty well, man. How's everything with you? Good, good. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and uh, and reach it out to me. Like I mentioned to you, I was afraid to ask you for fear you say no, because, you know, every, hey, you're allowed to say no. Everyone could refuse politely, but I was just, you know, I got such a kick out of you in paradise. It would have crushed me if you said no. So that's why I was waiting to ask you. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got so much on my agenda right now. I didn't know if I'd have time to fit you in, but. Uh, I know, yeah. I know. We, we are actually recording this, everyone, even though it'll only air when it airs a month or two later that we're recording this on Super Bowl Sunday. So if you would like to, you know, give us the spread now who you think win, we'll see if you're Nostradamus or something. Do you want, I, I know you probably don't have a dog in the fight today, right? I'm, I'm guessing you're, uh, cause you're currently in Indiana, uh, Indiana. Is that where you're living now? Yeah. Indianapolis, Indiana. No, okay. uh, no dog in this fight. My wife is extremely heartbroken. She is a diehard Colts fan. So, uh, okay. you know, I'm a Minnesota Viking fan, unfortunately. Uh, so we haven't, had to have any heartbreak in the Super Bowl in an extremely long time, but uh, I'm going to, you want to give us your pick? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the Rams and I I don't think it'll be real close. Okay. (laughs) All right. Got it. (laughs) Now. Yeah. So you're uh, in in Indianapolis. Now, where are you from originally? I'm from Barry, Vermont. Oh, a Vermont boy. Okay. Nice. I uh, I do know a little bit about Montreal. It was, uh, it was pretty nice when I was actually kind of a teenager because we could always go up to Montreal Expos games. and. Well, also, we used to get a lot of Vermonters because, you know, the legal drinking age in Montreal or Canada is 18. So we get a lot of Vermonters, right? Would You guys would come over, right, for that I, also? I would have never done anything like that. The legal drink <laughs> here is 20. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would have never thought to do anything like that greg okay <laughs> well yeah so you're really taking this uh, pg rating i have on the podcast to heart so you did agree to not tell me any hookup stories you agreed not to swear you're still okay with that right Corey? oh of course we keep okay. this pg hopefully there's some young people that will listen to this and get a little bit of excited about club med and want to possibly uh think about doing it all right. Well, before you get into your your get into your backstory, yes, I did call you the American Dream, and I'm going to tell you why. And but yeah, for a very American guy, you have a very French last name. Would you like to like? What are the origins of that? Well, just French Canadian uh, on my father's side, on my mother's side, I'm actually Scottish, Scottish and Irish. So that's uh, about wow. as much as. Dude, my my mother does a bunch of genealogy and all that stuff, and she could go back into Canada, I'm sure, and dig up all kinds of information. But that's something I really don't know about. Okay, wow, I didn't know. So you have a French Canadian last name. Whoa, this is cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Now, so I'd like you to take me back in time. So since we know you're a golf geo, like how old were you when you actually started golfing? Well. Actually, I always knew golf was going to be part of my life because it was more or less family business when I was young, probably somewhere around 10 years old. My parents actually managed a golf course, which uh, I actually, obviously, after school and all that would go to the golf course. Uh, they had pretty busy schedules and all that. So rather than leave me home alone, I would go to the golf course and I would, of course, you know, play golf, practice, do all that. But then I started getting into, you know, working as I got older and just always knew that I enjoyed it. It felt like something I wanted to do uh, as I grew up, get into the game uh, and basically help other people improve. Of course, just like anybody else. And this is obviously before Tiger Woods and the whole Tiger Woods thing, but obviously would have loved the opportunity to try and play it at a professional level. Uh, 
you know, being from Vermont, you kind of have to realize your limits and your capabilities because of the weather we have there. It's not like some of these other kids that can play year round and things like that. Realized at an early age that playing was not going to be more than likely an option. So just decided to go into the teaching aspect. Now you said you play golf at a division two university. So for a dumb, dumb Canadian like me, what is it? What does division two actually mean? Well, so not funny story, but this is how that went. It didn't last long and I'll explain why. So when I graduated high school, it was actually on the day that I graduated. We all went out to dinner and my parents said, you're 18, you're graduated high school, we're moving to Florida. <laughs> so I said, okay. Uh, and at that particular point, I decided that I was going to take a year off before I tried to go to college or anything like that. So being 18, uh, again, my summer job was at a golf course. We were going to be approaching winter when they moved to Florida. So my option was to go down to Florida with them. So I experienced my first winter in Florida and it was actually very nice not having any of the snow, anything like that. So I did have a friend who went to Mercyhurst and he played on the golf team and he called me and said, listen, uh, we need players up here. So do you have any, any, uh, I'm trying to think of the word here. I'm stumbling, but he said, do you want to come and play? And, uh, I said, yeah, that sounds uh, like a good idea. So I uh, ended up enrolling at a small community college down there just to get some college credits that I could transfer over there. And the rest is history about getting admitted. As far as what Division Two is, you have Division One, Two, and Three here in the United States, and then you have NAIA. It's basically different levels, and it's primarily decided by the size of your school. Um, Mercyhurst was not very big; uh, it was a Catholic school. So it was a it was a smaller school. That's why it was division two. So you didn't have a lot of top end players. Most of your uh, your Tiger Woods, your uh, Justin Thomases, your Dustin Johnsons, they all went to division one, which would be a University of Florida, University of Alabama, things like that. So that's what division two would all break right. down to. Now, I'd never heard of the Golf Academy of America. Can you tell me what happens there? What is it? Basically, it, it is a, a college. So you go and it prepares you for the golf life, essentially. I mean, you learn everything from golf cart man maintenance to accounting to teaching people how to play. Um, it's all run by PGA of America professionals. Um, actually, one of my instructors, he's been a top 50 instructor in the United States multiple years, which is a which is a very, very nice accomplishment if you're a PGA professional. Basically, you go and you you had your options. You could really just jam it all in and get a two-year degree, but they would just knock it out and do consecutive uh, semesters so you can knock it out in about a year and a half uh, instead of your typical college or university where you would take a summer break or things like that. So I elected to kind of stretch it out a little bit because I did go back and work for my parents at their golf course uh, one summer. And then I just knocked it all out and got it taken care of. I got my degree. Okay. I have a question in two parts. Instead of going yeah. to the golf Academy of America. Okay. Could you have not just watched Caddyshack? And part two of that question is Caddyshack, not the greatest golf movie of all time. Uh, I will sum it all up. Just saying, Caddyshack is fantastic. It is absolutely the number one golf movie of all time. Uh, yes. It, um, if, if any of the listeners have never seen it, it, it is a classic movie. I recommend watching it. Even if you're not a golf fan, just some of the, the little banters between Rodney Dangerfield and Ted Knight were always classic. And then of course you get Bill Murray and Chevy Chase in there at their young ages when they were starting out acting. It's just, it was great. Okay. Thank you for that. Cause I always thought it was the best golf movie ever. <laughs> so how did you find out about club med? Had you ever been, were you a guest? What happened there? So my parents ultimately ended up telling me they were going to take a break from uh, the golf course that they were at. So after I graduated and we did our last summer at that golf course, the golf course that I had worked at in Florida on and off while I was attending the golf academy, 
they were kind of in a transition. They ended up selling to a company out of South Carolina. So they were moving in a different direction. So I decided that rather than to pursue a job with them, with somebody who I wasn't familiar with, that it would just be a time for a fresh start for everybody. So through the Golf Academy, they actually had a, a, a website that you could go on to try and get placement someplace. And I was just looking on there and Club Med came up. So I ended up applying, went up and met a recruiter up in Orlando. I can't remember her name. I want to say it was Julie or Cindy. I, I don't remember. Very nice person. We got together. We talked. It was a, obviously a very pleasant conversation. And uh, a couple of weeks later, she said, uh, you're going to be going to Club Med Sandpiper. Well, how did you, but how did you know about Club Med when you saw it on the website? Had you heard about it? If you did, where did you hear about it? Or you just... I, I had not heard about it. I had not. What so drew I, you to the, the Club Med? Uh, why did you apply there? Ultimately, um, you know, I kind of just looked through all of the postings. It was from where I was living in Florida. It was only about a half, an hour and a half away from where my family lives. So not that I'm a mommy or a daddy's boy or anything like that. But, you know, I just thought that it would be nice to still have family close by. So that was one that stuck out. And it was actually, this is how little I knew about it. I When I was reading the post, and I saw the salary, I'm here like, oh, that's, that's got to be a typo, you know, <laughs> that, that's got to be per week or biweekly or something. But I did see, obviously, the, you know, the room and board was included and things like that. So that was another thing, you know, moving away and all that, not having to try to find an apartment, things like that. So it, it just seemed like something that would be beneficial to me at the time, at the age I was at to not, you know, start piling on, you know, all these bills on top of college bills and things like that. Do you recall your interview? Like, did they just talk to you one-on-one -on -one, or did you have to tell jokes or do crazy signs? Do you remember it? It was just a conversation. Uh, it was not a, I, trust me, very, very little was explained to me about what Club Med was. Let's just say that. Okay. But at least uh, in 2001, you would have had a one day off a week back then. That is correct. Were you happy to go to uh, Sandpiper or did you have visions of the Caribbean dancing in your head? Well, I, I, of course, did some research after I knew that I was going there and just saw all the places in the world. I believe they had roughly 100, 120 resorts all throughout the world. So I'm here like, wow, you know, this could this could be pretty cool. My initial thing was because of Sandpiper, when I started there, they actually had two 18-hole golf courses called the Saints and the Sinners. Um, one was actually right on Club Med property, and then the other one was not on the property, but it was close. You could you could actually drive a golf cart there. You could drive your car there if you wanted to. So it was, um, again, with the education that I received from school and all that, being in resort golf was a very popular thing. So it seemed like it was a pretty big program that Club Med was offering. So I figured if I wanted to start somewhere, that would be the best place. So I was happy about Sandpiper. Do you recall your first week when you arrived and all that? Greg, I can tell you my first day like it was yesterday. It was oh, pretty, let's hear it. This is not a short story. It, it, it's pretty. It's <laughs> well, okay. Now we got a lot to talk about. So <laughs> if you could summarize. <laughs> so I do so, want to so I'll, I'll start with this. Because I was in Florida, I drove to the village, my own personal vehicle. And that might be one of the reasons that when I got to the reception desk, they had no idea who I was, no idea that I was coming that day, no nothing. So uh, I get to reception. Again, nobody knows who I am, where I'm staying, didn't have a room, nothing. So when I got there, it was lunch and they pulled out or they somehow got in touch with Anthony Amont, who was the chief of golf at the time and had him come to the reception area. He started talking to reception. Yeah, I knew he was coming, um, blah, blah, blah. So they were kind of shuffling around trying to figure out what to do with me. So at the time, Anthony is telling me what's going on. And a company that I'm sure you know of called Bombardier 
had rented the entire village out for the week. So there were no activities going on, no golf, no circus, no land sports, no ski, no sailing, nothing, no mini clubs. So basically it was almost like a week off for all the GOs, except at nighttime, you still had your, your nighttime responsibilities. So it was so busy that they even had some of the employees for Bombardier staying in the GO rooms. That's how busy it was. So Anthony tells me, he says, all right, if you want, you can kind of walk around and I'm here like, I'm just going to go to the golf course. Show me where it is. He did. So I went and I just kind of hit some balls and tried to talk to the people over at the golf course, just let them know who I was and things like that. So finally at about two thirty, three o'clock, I go back to reception. They said, well, this is where you're going to be saying we rented a house outside the back gate by the geo building. And we have, five other GOs staying in this house right now, you will be staying there. I said, okay. So (laughs) I end up going to that house and it was a four bedroom house, five GOs staying there. So my first night I ended up staying in the dining room. (laughs) Slept on the dining table. (laughs) Now, had you ever done that growing up in Vermont? (laughs) Uh, I've slept in some pretty good spots. Okay. So it was pretty funny, again, not knowing anything about Club Med. Obviously, I get to this house and I do meet some of the people there. Not all sports team. There was a tennis show, some reception people. But anyway, they kind of really didn't fill me in on what the whole Club Med thing was. So Anthony had told me to meet him at the bar at seven o'clock. So, of course, first day, I'm, I'm not trying to be late to anything. So I get to the bar at about 640, 645. And I do know at this point that we're allowed to drink. So I go to the bar and I remember, remember this bartender. I mean, I'll remember it till the day I die. It was just classic. His name was Nate bleach blonde hair. I walk up to him and I go, uh, let me get a Miller light. And he goes, grabs a Miller light, brings it up to me. And again, new to club men, not knowing anything. I just take out my wallet and I think I'm going to pay cash here at the bar. He's here like, what are you doing? I said, listen, man, I said, I'm a new geo. I just got here. I don't know anything. He said, Oh, you're a new geo. I said, yeah. He said like, hold on one second. So he goes and he gets me another beer. (laughs) So now I have two Miller lights sitting in front of me. He says, here, take this and go to reception. And there you need to buy a bar book. This is after bar beads, of course. So I mean, like this guy is just giving me two beers and go to reception. Well, I don't know how many times you've been to Sandpiper, but reception is about 25 feet from the bar. So I didn't need two beers to go to reception to buy a bar book. So go there and uh, I come back now and I've got my bar book and all of a sudden I've got a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and there's this man dressed up as Batman. And then right behind him is this little shorter guy dressed up as Robin. And it was... Anthony, my boss, and the chief of tennis, I think his name was Vincent, dress up as Batman and Robin. And at this point, I'm here like, what in the hell am I getting myself into? (laughs) So that's just a little bit about my first day. Uh, Again, I just remember everything so vividly. It was was eye-opening, let's just say that. Well, did you meet the chief of village or chief of sports on your first day? And if so, who who were they? I want to say I... Briefly met the chief of sports. Her name was Janine. I don't know if you know Janine at all. I don't think so. No, Janine. I can tell you this. I am six, three. And I think I walk pretty fast because I have long legs. She's the fastest walker I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the, I know for sure the second day she was having me follow her around and she was showing me everything and I couldn't keep up. I mean, I was 20 feet behind her and I felt like I was running. So it was a, Nice person. Great person. And then the chief of village was Lionel Benzoni. Okay. All right. So didn't have a whole lot of interaction with him. Now the Bombardier was, were they from France or Montreal, the company? They're they're from Montreal. Okay. So now since you're half Quebecois, do you speak French, Corey? Before Club Med? Yes. Nope. Everything I learned was, uh, on the fly from French geos, uh, French guests, things like that. So that was certainly um, 
the challenge, probably the biggest challenge with Club Med was obviously being able to teach golf and having to do it in multiple languages, primarily French. So Anthony Amat, he was the chief of golf. He was from France. So then we had another French geo on the golf team. So pretty much had to get just a, a real quick introduction into French and on the teaching golf side of it. Well, since you, uh, when you were living in Vermont, you went to Montreal a lot. And then your first week at Club Med was Bombardier. You probably didn't have any culture shock then, I'm guessing, right? Like Club Med culture I, shock? It, it's still, it was still definitely there, the culture shock. It was, uh, again, you know, not knowing really a whole lot about it, just going there. And I think I'd heard you on other podcasts. And one of the things that really didn't make sense to me was going and eating with guests. Okay. It, it just seemed like a real bizarre thing. I'm here like these people spend thousands of dollars to come on vacation. What do they want an employee sitting eating dinner with them? That doesn't make sense. So I think it was probably my first two or three days there. I never even stepped foot into the restaurant. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I would just go out to eat. I'm here like, I've got to, again, being fortunate to be one of the employees that has a vehicle. I'm here like, I'll just pop out, hit McDonald's, hit the bar down the road, whatever. And then uh, ultimately it worked out where I would go in and eat with the guests and all that. And it, it started to make a whole lot more sense. But the thing that always stuck out to me was just having Batman and Robin show up, tap me on the shoulder. And I'm just here like, what is going on here? This guy is dressed up like Batman. Uh, so culture shock. Yeah, it, it was there. It well, didn't take a long to wear off though. I'm sure in your interview that you probably didn't mention crazy signs. So I'd like to get your thoughts, like when you saw crazy signs and then you'd have to do them four or five times a day. What did you think about that? thought it was a little, a uh, little goofy. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll just keep it at that. I'm okay. like, <laughs> did you have a favorite, did you ever have a favorite, a favorite one, even after all your years in Clement? <laughs> there were some, obviously uh, as I evolved in club med and, and all that and became an MC of a lot of events and all that you, you at least have to show that you're excited and you have favorite ones and all that I can't remember anything uh, off the top of my head anything that was higher, higher energy the better you know the little slower ones and all that just kind of seemed a little juvenile but you know anything that was higher energy to try and get everybody excited about whatever we were trying to do were always my favorites now, were you a good dancer before Club Med? I mean, did the choreographer come up to you or, or did you go up the choreographer and said, hey, man, put me in every show there is? Greg, look who you're talking to, the American dream. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll get to that. I, was okay. I still am to this day. I've got two left feet. Okay. So did they stick you like last row by the curtain then when they did a show or did they just keep you for comedy numbers? How did they, uh, do you remember doing shows your first season? Yeah, I remember the uh, first show that I ever did was Desert Wind, and I was the a flag bearer. I think they uh, just made sure that I didn't get in the way, put a flag in my hands, and uh, said, wave it around, and that's it. <laughs> but uh, shows after that, yeah, I, I did a lot of shows. Uh, I didn't try to shy away from them. I obviously was very upfront and honest with what my capabilities were. So if there was anything that required a high level of dance, they knew that I was not the guy. Okay. <laughs> well, I do have actually, no, I have to ask you what, what the heck was desert wind? I don't recall that one from 2001. What kind of show was that? It was basically a, a romance. Like there was, it was, it was supposed to be a Middle Eastern, I would guess. Um, a lot of Middle Eastern music, things like that. It was basically, I'm going out on a limb here. I don't know the whole backstory or what it was, but it was a guy and a girl. This evil king come and takes the girl, and the guy comes and saves her. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that just screamed sandpiper to me. All right. Okay. Well, you got to remember, man, we're talking over over 20 years ago that's so. right no no that's right no, i just never heard of that one okay okay we know you golfed a lot did you have any time to learn any other skills that you had never like did you had you water skied sailed before did you have any time to learn something else 
very little time, especially seeing, as you know, when you have your day off, and I know you probably didn't experience it until later in your club men life, but having a day off, I know a lot of geos would try to take the opportunity to do circus or water ski, things like that. Because we were in Sandpiper and we were not on a beach or anything. And I was obviously extremely popular because I had a vehicle and that was the only reason why people would always try to go to the beach down to Florida, which was probably about a 15 minute drive. So on my days off, I was essentially a taxi. We'd all try to go to the beach and things like that. So we were out of the village. So not a lot of time to learn a whole lot of things. So no, never, never water skied, never really sailed. Uh, now that I'm away from Club Med, I could tell a sailing story later, but never did any circus, tennis, nothing really. All right. Do you have any um, any other funny stories from your first season that you that you recall? My first season was a little bit short and sweet, I guess, because I came in in February, which was basically halfway through a season, technically. Yes. Uh, I believe seasons ran what October to April and May to September or something like that. So it was pretty short, and obviously, being new. Number one, being new to Club Med. Number two, being a new person in the village tried to kind of sit back and just absorb everything and not make too much of a fool out of myself. Uh, I'm not saying I succeeded all the time because there was a, a golf geo named Will who uh, he had quite the reputation. And uh, we, let's just say we ended up being pretty good friends. Uh, so yeah, we, we got into not trouble, but <laughs> we had a good time. Let's just say that. Well, then if your season was so short, where did they, did you do a second season? If so, where did they send you? Or did you ask for a a certain village? I actually ended up staying in Sandpiper. I want to say almost for two years, which is kind of unheard of. I know the whole philosophy is try to kind of bring some freshness into the villages and all that and not have people kind of overstay, but because golf is such a specialized sport and it requires the land that it does in the American zone, you basically had two options. It was Sandpiper, which was a very, very large golf facility. And then you had Paradise Island, which is obviously where you and I met, which is an extremely small operation. So I had been offered not after my first season but i had been offered to go to paradise island multiple times and i had declined just to try to stay to the bigger operation i I figured that my skills were better suited for there so i stayed i want to say until sometime in 2002 well yeah because we met we would have met like october november 2002 that's where we uh we started paradise so about a year and a half 18 20 months i think i was in sandpiper so okay so paradise island was your first uh village after florida right correct okay yeah so this is where we meet this is where i come in and uh now you're probably wondering about the American dream nickname. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know how it came to me, but now I, now I'm just going to preface this by saying everyone who knows me knows I wished I was born in the States. Okay. Mainly for your, your nice geography. Like I wish I was born in Florida, Hawaii, or California because I hate winter. Okay. <laughs> so it's no secret, you know, so, but you were, I think I put that point up until that point, the most American guy I had ever met. And that is a huge compliment. Okay. Like I couldn't get enough of you, everything, everything from America oozed at you. You're the guy I'd see in the movies, you know, I mean, just everything about you was the American dream, which I always like every Canadian guy wants the American dream. You know what I mean? Like you were the quintessential American guy. That's what I loved about you. Minus the good looking part. <laughs> well, hell no. I think I've seen some photos of you as Captain America. Am I, am I wrong on your Facebook? Like, uh, you know, let's you, not bring up old things, Greg. You, you pulled off that jawline, man. I tell you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. So that's why and that, to me, it just stuck. I don't know if anyone else called you that, but I did because because uh, I got a huge kick out of you. You to me, you were hilarious. Now, do people always find you funny? I think I always try to. And especially once I got a little bit 
further along in club med to to let my true personality come out a little bit more and i always try to be a, a positive uplifting person so however i can do that and if it means trying to be funny trying to uh, joke around with people to make people either feel comfortable just try to bring an atmosphere to a room something like that i always i always try to do that it's just who i am so i guess people think i'm funny and maybe i'm over trying or or whatnot but i always just thought that that was just how i could bring the best out in a room was to try and make it just to feel you know not uptight or anything like that just bring a calmness and a, a nice relaxing feeling to the room keep it loose right yeah absolutely okay i'm gonna since i think you're the first or one of the first golf geos i've been dying to ask this question i'm just going to preface it a little uh i'm going to fast forward when i did my chief of sports stage part of our stages we had to go see the response ab golf we went to opio france to do the stage and he was telling us about the various injuries in golf and we were like injuries what injuries you hit the ball and he said i'm gonna maybe paraphrase he was showing a lady how how to uh tee off or something and he was showing her proper footwork and where to stand she had failed to remove her foot from parallel to the T and he said now hit the ball thinking she would move her foot out of the way she didn't and she broke her own foot now have you ever seen any kind of injury like that in all your years as golf to you I have to say no okay <laughs> he made it sound like this was common okay <laughs> no I mean you, you you've got to kind of be a moron that you're you're swinging a golf club at a little ball at a high speed to yes. not any appendages out of the way. <laughs> yes. I, I still remember this conversation, you know, because it was 99 and afterwards he says, why did you do it? Why didn't you move your foot away? She says, you didn't tell me to move my foot away. And he was like, you, that's common sense. <laughs> but no, uh, I she, mean, I, she hauled I, off and hit a humdinger right at her, her left uh, foot there. <laughs> I have seen some not real injuries, just really poor golf shots where, you know, Sometimes you have dividers in between where people are hitting balls and they'll go right off the end of the club, hit the divider and come back and hit them in the shin or something like that. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, things like that. But uh, as far as not moving your foot, that's just dumb. Okay. That's what I thought. Hey, Corey, about how many uh, years overall did you uh, spend in Club Med? Like, or so let's just say we, you started 2001. When was your, uh, what year was your last season? I think 2005 oh, okay. was my last. Yeah, me too. All right. Which, uh, which, which resort was your last one? Rhea Binton. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you, you and I both worked there. I was chief of sport there in uh, 2001, 2002, right before Paradise. So what did you uh, – I'm guessing that was your first time in Asia. Uh, yes. Now, did you, so, you like it? That, yeah, it, it was pretty cool. Uh, the way it worked out is after Paradise Island – I had done both of, yeah, my dogs are going crazy yeah. again, but they're, I had pretty much done both locations for golf in the United States. So my only other option was to go back to Sandpiper and Kevin Bat was the chief of village, which I had known Kevin a little bit because when I worked with Hammer in Sandpiper, you know, Sandpiper was basically, it, it was everybody came through there, whether you were going through on your way to another village, whether that was the gathering point for meetings, things like that. Everybody came there. So I knew Kevin a little bit and uh, we got along pretty well. And so one day uh, Kevin said, Hey, I need to see you in my office. And that's something you never want to hear from, from your chief of village. But at that point I was in the high potential stage to become a chief of service. So I knew I wasn't, in any trouble or anything. And I, I kind of had a feeling that what happened happened, but he said, yeah, I just got off the phone with hammer who was the chief of village in Rhea Benton at the time. And, uh, he's requested that you go over there and you take the position. And at that point it was a chief of service position over there because the golf product in Rhea Benton as you very well know is quite big and it was also the excursion side of it so that's how i ended up in rio benton now like me you must have had since it's your first time in asia like me you must have had some uh, culture shock like i did right oh yeah 
Oh yeah. That was, uh, that was very, very eye opening. Yeah, because the majority of guests are from uh, Korea, Japan, China, and you might every now and then on the weekend, you might get some expats living in, in Singapore, right? Some American and yeah. Canadian, but uh, majority yeah. is Asian. And uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, it was quite an adjustment when, when I got there. I loved it, but yeah, a bit of adjustment at first. Yeah, it was uh, obviously, uh, you know, at the beginning of every show, instead of having, you know, again, being in the American oh God, zone. The translation? Most, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Most of your... <laughs> most of your chief villages are speak English and French pretty fluently. Um, so it was just the chief of village, but the first show I'm up there and I see like five translators. Yes. yes. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took forever to start a show, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Now, did you, uh, did you go to Singapore on your day off, take the ferry, go on in? So yeah, my, uh, my first day there and of course you know the flight if i i remember oh. this i remember this i took off from orlando did i orlando or miami no it was miami that i flew out of i left march 3rd and arrived in indonesia on march 5th i never saw march 4th <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yep oh yeah one of the, one of two horrendous jet lags yeah i've ever experienced and then you probably do you remember the heat when you got off the plane like I never experienced that type of choking heat before. <laughs> and it was hot. It was hot. And then did they make you like when you got, did you have to go to the Singapore office first? No. Okay. Oh, you got lucky. Not, not okay. first. I, I got to Singapore, flew into Singapore, got in a taxi, went straight to the ferry, got over to the, to the village. Okay. And then uh, I think it was the next day or the day after that, I think, I think that Hammer was cool enough that he said, uh, you probably are going to need a, a day to relax and, and get over your jet lag. But I go to the chief of reception and talk to him. And, you know, he's told him that I had to get to Singapore and how much cash should I bring? And again, we're talking the Indonesian rupiah is what you're dealing with there. Yeah. And trying to convert that to Singapore dollars. And I'm here like, listen, dude, I just need to know how much money I need to bring over there just to get around. I don't know what, Oh, well you need to take 3 million rupiah. I'm here like, okay, cool. I don't know what that is, but just let me have it. I get over there and I found out he gave me like on my first or second day, like that was already negative, like $350 in my account. I'm here like, dude, I only need like hundred dollars just to go over and get a couple things. I was just going to the office over there to do, you know, do paperwork and things like that. Well, I needed to make sure you had plenty of money to do anything fun or anything like that. I'm mean, like, thanks a lot, guy. Minus <laughs> second day in the village. <laughs> now, did you, were you there the whole year? I was there. Yes. I was there for a year. Do you have any uh, monkey encounters you'd like to share or did you just stay away from the monkeys? <laughs> well, did you ever go to the golf course over there? Uh, yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah. The monkeys but were all over the place there. Yeah, but if you recall, the the Annex restaurant too in the club also had its share because it was on the water and it was right by where the monkeys live. So I was just curious so, if you. Uh... Sorry about that. My again, first day, and and I get to the village. I want to say right around lunchtime, and obviously, you know, I meet meet up with Hammer and Julie. So Hammer's here, like, well, let's. Uh, I know you're tired, but let's go grab a bite to eat before you go to your room and all that. So, you know, Hammer being Hammer and you know, chief village being a chief village is that every person he sees, he's stopping, he's talking to. So we get to the restaurant and just go grab some food. And, you know, he's walking around saying hi to everybody. So me not thinking anything of it, just go. And I set my plate down on the table and I go to get a drink. I come back and there's this damn monkey eating my food. Because <laughs> as I'm sure you remember they just sat on the roof there waiting for you to yeah. get up and uh up close they're kind of mean looking so if they do grab your uh, food you just let them have it right oh yeah <laughs> and especially uh on the golf course we had a guy there you know they were told not to leave any valuables or anything in their golf cart because the monkeys come out when you're not at the golf cart come out of the jungle and they go through and take whatever they want yeah they take digital cameras and whatnot yep okay. yep <laughs> oh wow all right now you had mentioned uh high pot high potential 
Now, uh, can you, would you mind sharing your very funny story of Cancun when you were on Hypot? I know I'm jumping around a bit, but this is a pretty funny story, which could only happen to you and was probably a one in a million. <laughs> yeah, do, do, you, do you mind sharing this story? <laughs> I've got that. And then one from Benton. That okay, I good, good. Let's do the Benton one first. Oh, Benton. So the chief of bar there, Dean, he was South African like to play cards and i had paul paulie he was a geo that worked for me that liked to play cards and we had hammer who obviously likes to play poker um so hammer one night all of a sudden says hey let's go to the house and play cards chief of village house i'm sure you know it was up by the spa and the tennis courts and yeah. all that so he's telling dean dean bring some liquor as he did so we sat up and played poker until I want to say three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. And Hammer looks at me and he says, you remember, you and I both have to be at the entrance of the restaurant at seven, right? I said, unfortunately, Hammer, I do remember that. Thank you. So at that point, we decided that we should stop. So we did. And I don't know how many times or if you even noticed but if you walk out of the chief of village's house there you can go off of the little concrete slab there and you can go to the left where it's very well lit and you can walk down that driveway there and then it was kind of not a long walk but it was a little winding walk down to the right or like me being the idiot that i am at four o'clock in the morning and a little foggy I decide that I'm going to save those extra four steps and I'm going to go to the right where it is not well lit. So I don't know if you remember, but because of the rainfall they get over there, they had those probably three to four foot deep rain culverts that are cut out. Yes. Yeah. I did probably as you would see in a cartoon, I was walking and all of a sudden one foot went and there was nothing there. And I went face first into one of those, hit my head, hit my wrist, and they're not very wide. And I am like stuck in there sideways at four o'clock in the morning. There is nobody around that's going to be able to help me. And I, I'm pretty sure I probably knocked myself out for a second, but uh, all of a sudden I come to it and I'm looking around and I'm in this three foot concrete hole sideways like how am i gonna get out of here so anyway <laughs> i somehow managed to get myself up and out of there and i go back to my room it's now like 4 30 in the morning and i look and i am covered in blood because i hit my head i've got a cut behind my ear so clean up get about an hour and a half of sleep and i somehow make it to the entrance to the restaurant at seven o'clock and Hammer looks at me and he's like, what the hell happened to you? I said, well, Hammer, I decided I was going to save a few steps and go to the right out of your house. He said, you didn't fall in there. I said, yeah, I fell in. And he just starts laughing and we're just both dying at this point. But I, yeah, I mean, that happened. And it, <laughs> it all brought me back as I was laying in there. Like, how does this happen twice? Well, yes. And because can something happened in Cancun before that, right? Yeah. So okay. <laughs> when I was in Sandpiper and Hammer was chief of village there and his wife, Julie, did a lot of training. And I was in the HIPOT program, which for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's the high potential to become a chief of service and move up in the, in the company. I was told that we were going to Cancun for team building. I said, okay. That, that's cool. I'd never been to another village before. So going to Cancun, it's great. So this is now at the time where uh, Club Med was still using bar boats, but they were also starting to sell the all-inclusive package. Basically just meant that you didn't need to have your bar book. You could just go into the bar. You had the bracelet on and, uh, and you could get whatever you wanted for drinks and things like that. So I've heard the stories, never been part of it, of Cancun, and it was an adult village, how crazy things can get. So I'm here like, well, I'm, I'm not going to be a moron and just sit there and constantly be buying bar books. So for the 
I think the two nights we were going to be there, I said, what the hell? Let me go ahead and get the all-inclusive bracelet. So we all, uh, we all get together, uh, and I'm the only one in Hypot that decided it was a smart thing to buy the all-inclusive drinking bracelet at the time. Probably didn't look very good, but it is what it is. So that very first night, and obviously, you know, you know people who have come through your village and all that. And a good friend of mine was there and we get together at the main bar and had some drinks. We had obviously gone to dinner, had a few glasses of wine and he said, all right, it's time to go to the, to the nightclub, which I'm guessing you worked at Cancun at some point, didn't you, Greg? Yep. Okay. So, you know, the nightclubs a little hike from the main bar. So uh, we're walking and I'm like, how do you, I got to pee bad man it's right up there i'm like no dude this is bad i gotta go and and i look off to my left and it's kind of the back entrance of the restaurant i think again i never worked there and i I, obviously i'm a little foggy at this point too so i I said i i'm going right over there so i'm kind of doing my thing and i'm on this concrete slab and i kind of just hear a little like crack and again i'm not thinking anything of it but the next thing I know, the entire concrete slab gives out from underneath my feet. And I, I have the intelligence. Now, remember what I'm doing at the time. I yes. have your midstream, so to speak, correct? I had the intelligence to kind of pull my hips back so a certain part didn't scrape any concrete. And my ribs ended up taking the brunt okay. of everything. Okay. So, okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Are you now? Are you sure? Okay, because I know you had one or two drinks that. Because uh, I'm, I'm trying to calculate the odds of you urinating at the time a sinkhole. Here, sorry, are you sure it was a sinkhole? Swear to God. Okay, <laughs> this could only happen to you. Okay. Oh God. So, so this, so this is happening, and Gus is the chief of village, and his wife Helen are, are she's there as well. So wait a minute. Now, what was what was the the wife of the chief of village doing there? <laughs> no, she wasn't. She, they, I'm saying that they were there in the village. Oh, so okay. At, so at the time, I, I'm I'm still I'm here like what what just happened? <laughs> I'm trying to get my thoughts together. I'm trying to get my guy back into the pants so I can make a poop. <laughs> Sitting here, broken ribs, in pain, <sighs> and all of a sudden I hear like, "Hey, who's over there?" And I look off to the right, and there's Gus's wife walking their dog. I'm here like, there's no way. I, I'm in a high potential training here, and I've gone behind this building to take a leak. The concrete is given out from underneath me. There's no way I can let her see me here in this situation. So I get up as out of the hole as quick as I can in pain to get the hell out of there. And fortunately, nothing was ever said to me. And till the next morning where I couldn't really take part of a whole lot of the, uh, the team building because it was a lot of <laughs> physical activity and all that. I had my ribs wrapped up. I couldn't even go to the nightclub the night before because I couldn't breathe. What a ridiculous situation. Oh my God. Okay. So how, how acidic does a stream have to be to break concrete? I don't, I just don't, I just don't get, I never heard a story like this ever in my life. Sorry to laugh because I know you got hurt, but what are the odds of this happening again? I mean, I have no idea. It's ridiculous. But please please say it was just those two instances where you fell down and got hurt. There weren't any more, please. Okay. (laughs) Because I can't take any more. Okay. I want to say yes, but. Okay. Okay. Let's go with yes. Okay. A lot of foggy nights there so hey we've all had them we've all had them come on now yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's only normal were there were there certain chief uh, villages you clicked with the most like some that you really really enjoyed working with uh, i would say hammer i worked with hammer a lot i think i spent uh two seasons with him and sam piper and then the two seasons in ria Binton. so you know we obviously uh being from the the american zone and we had a lot of we had a lot of interests, the same interests, you know, from golf. He loved to play golf. Obviously that's how I was welcomed to club med. We love poker and things like that. So, so it was actually quite an honor to get the phone call from him asking me to go, you know, halfway or on the other side of the world to, to come and work for him. So I would, I would think that the, 
the feelings were mutual that we had a pretty good working relationship. So I would say, I would say him, uh, I worked with Kevin for a little while. I worked with Handel, you know, uh, all great guys worked with Oria Osmani, uh, rest in peace. Uh, terrible to hear what happened with her, but, uh, worked with her. And, and again, with, with who I am, I, I try to get along with everybody. Uh, you know, there was a funny story with Oria who, somebody played a prank on her and put a dead shark dead baby shark in her bed okay. and i can't remember if it was an april yeah so i i don't remember if it was april fools or what it was but they put a dead baby shark in her bed and for whatever reason and i don't know if she was trying to play a joke on me or whatnot but she thought that it was me that put this in her bed and i'm here like no so at some point, something registered, like that actually happened. But at some point, I got the feeling like she was messing with me. So me being the kind of guy that I am, I said, well, yeah, you're not going to pull one over on me. Now it's my turn. So I acted as if I got really upset. And I said, you know what? If you don't believe me, basically, I'm out of here. So I go back to my room and I already know what's coming. Somebody is coming to see if I'm leaving. Like, and when I say leaving, I mean quit, leaving the resort. So I know somebody is coming. So at this point, I'm trying to play a prank on her. And I'm like, all right, how am I doing this? So I pull out all of my suitcases and I don't have anything in them. I just have them on my bed. And next thing I know, the chief of security, Joe, is at my door. And he's seen what I'm doing. And I said, you know what, Joe, this is BS. I don't deserve this. And I, I'm completely messing around at this point. I have no desire to leave. So he goes back and tells her he's leaving. His suitcases are packed. He's getting ready to leave. So now she comes to my room. Don't leave. Don't leave. And I'm still, I'm playing it hard. Like, you know what? I've, think i've earned the respect not to be you know treated this way so anyway long story short i was messing around the end of the show that night i get right up there with her doing the crazy signs on stage and i get down and i carried her off on my shoulders and all that and we had a pretty good laugh and uh it's just really too bad what happened with her but uh again just all the chief of villages always tried to to get along with everybody and to and just make their lives easier because you know looking back at it i know being a chief of village is not the easiest thing in the world even though it might at the time did you meet any celebrities at all in your time in club med oh yeah who'd you meet well obviously um sam piper had that big half pipe so ty chris he came in which for anybody who's american possibly even french canadian might not really know who he is but he's a world champion rollerblader he came in and then we had uh, Paul Schaefer from the Late Show with David Letterman. He came down. Probably the coolest guy, the funniest guy was Jim Brewer from Saturday Night Live. He came down and did a show with a, I guess, a group of winners. Got a show or, or uh, excuse me, a free trip from New York or something like that. But he was funny. Did a did a stand up comedy show down there. That was great. In Paradise Island, I'm not sure if you were there at the time. I don't think so, because I think Hendel was the chief of village. But uh, Tony Parker from the Spurs, uh, he came down. Uh, he was there. And probably the, the funniest one, and it, he wasn't even staying at the resort. But I don't, I don't know. Have you ever heard of a movie called After the Sunset? Yeah. You're talking about Woody Harrelson, right? He yeah. had me babysit his damn kids at the golf shack while he was playing soccer with everybody over uh, at the field left of the golf shack. He'd be like, hey, uh, you mind watching my girls while I go over here and play soccer for a little bit? I mean, like, you're okay. Here okay, wait, I've heard the story where, yes, he did come play soccer. But are you telling me that you had to babysit his girls? This part of the story I never heard. <laughs> yeah, he dropped his two damn girls off and I was giving him putting lessons while he was over <laughs> He's not even staying in the resort. I'm watching no. this Well, come on. How can you say no to Woody Harrelson? Come on, man. <laughs> well, that's kind of, I'm at. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> He's Woody Boyd from Cheers. Come on. <laughs> right. Oh. Yeah, so 
and, and I'm sure again, being over in Benton, I'm sure there were probably some Asian celebrities that were there. It just, I, you know, there nobody that I would recognize, you yeah. know, no Jackie Chan or nobody like that. But well, let, let me ask you a question. I'm going to, uh, I ask this question a lot. So of, of all the seasons you did from 2001, 2005, was there one that stood out to you in a particular way? Was there one uh, magical that you thought, or do you just like them all in different ways? I like them all in different ways. I'm going to say my favorite seasons were always the one around Christmas because of just the, the way that the village all kind of came together. And I know you're probably asking for a different answer on, you know, but those were always my favorite seasons just to see how, you know, we could, we obviously, you know, that those weeks were extremely demanding for all of us. And, you know, we, for the most part, are not specialized in any sort of entertainment production or anything like that. But at that time of the year, it was all a lot of entertainment and things like that. And it was pretty remarkable to see how people could come together and and make that week happen. It just seemed like there was a, a real high level of excitement. And then when it was all said and done, you kind of look back at it and you're like, wow, we pulled it off. And that was always just a a real amazing time for me just to see everybody's face like, Oh, it's over, but we had such a great time. And then the parties after those weeks were always pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it was a lot of work, uh, but it was very rewarding. I mean, I'm glad, to, I'm glad we went through it because like you said, yeah, Christmas and new year's were uh, probably the hardest you'll ever work in club med. Right. Well, I remember, uh, I think it was my first Christmas in Sandpiper. I was cast as the tin man. And I can't even remember the name of the show. Now, at the time, I'm bald. I've got no hair on my head. And I'm the Tin Man. And I had just done a real quick costume check. I, and for whatever reason, and I know Carol was the costume designer at the time, but I didn't see a hat for me. So I, I'm here like, all right, Christmas Eve, I got to get backstage. I painted my entire head silver. And... I get to my locker and there's a damn hat, which only had probably a small little area just for my face. All I would have had to paint was basically my, just a real small part of my face. I painted my head so silver. I had it inside my earlobes and everything. Really? And I'm there and I see this hat and I'm here like, you have got to be kidding me. It took me so long after the show, I had to go back to my room and I had to take about an hour and a half long shower just to get all this pain off me. I was so tired. I couldn't do anything the rest of the night. You went all, you went all method, huh? <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah. All, all right. Moron. You got time for a last question, Corey? I know I've taken up a lot of your time. Can I, can I ask you one more thing? Yeah, man, go ahead. If there's anyone listening to this who's thinking about applying to Club Med, is on the fence, should they do it? Absolutely. I don't think anybody goes there to make money. It's definitely an experience just to witness all the different cultures. And I know you've asked uh, with culture shock, uh, and, and I might have been downplaying it a little bit, but it is absolutely incredible to see all the different nationalities, all the different cultures not just from the guests that go there, but also the people that you work with. And uh, I would absolutely recommend it to anybody. As a matter of fact, my wife's sister uh, has just moved down to Orlando to, to start working for Disney. And I said, you know, if that doesn't work, I would highly recommend giving Club Med a try because she's 23 years old. You know, she's right around that age that she might be looking to to do something like that. And I told her, I said, you let me know and I'm sure I can still get in touch with the people that can can make something happen so if my son ever kind of was on the fence on what he wanted to do either after high school or after college or something like that, i would not bat an eyelash to recommend club med to him to to go out there to uh to get his feet wet get out into the world and, and see what else is out there well said sir well said all right i really want to thank you for sharing your story now before i let you go again am i see i don't want you i don't want to let you go without forgetting it. am i forgetting to ask you something there's something else you want to say like uh i don't want you to think of something later did we, we covered a lot i guess i'm thinking but uh i do like to ask that question before i let you go uh, i think we've pretty well covered everything i mean uh there there's just there's so much you know, when you look back on it, that obviously you're going to forget something and you're going to look back maybe in 
five minutes, an hour, two weeks and say, man, how could I forget to mention that? But, uh, you know, I think we were both fortunate enough to, to be with the company long enough that there's so many stories, experiences and all that, that you're bound to, to leave something out. Well, I'm glad I met you when I did. Absolutely, man. I, I had a ball can't thank you enough for for putting up with me <laughs> even, oh, no. even though I claim I, I was the the american dream and <laughs> you uh, still are <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well well everyone that was Corey, and uh again i really really want to thank you Corey, for sharing your story with us here today my pleasure buddy i appreciate your time all right now don't hang up right away okay but we'll see you all next week bye say bye Corey. bye guys <laughs> <laughs>